Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 50, Act 2, Precious Blake, Speed of Trust, recorded March 6th, 2022. Screaming about a revocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry Podcast. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and head over to teachingirishry.org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merchandise, and more. Teaching Irishry Podcast is supported by Filling the Well, a new podcast from Arts Midwest, created to nourish, provoke, and inspire artists and arts leaders. In this five-part series, hear from creative change makers as they share their takes on how to shift power dynamics, avoid burnout, build authentic community, share resources, and advocate for support. With each episode, you'll find links to explore these ideas further and act in your community. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or check out artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. So... I don't know. I didn't mark this before, but we have published 50 episodes, y'all. 50 episodes. It's crazy and amazing. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening and supporting our our indie podcast. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I also realized that I... I, I I think it's okay. It's okay to admit these things that I am swirling lately with the crazy amount of projects and everything sort of feels like it's all happening or needs to be happening at the same time, at least in my world. And, you know, then there's also like my own personal life projects from admin to like getting on top of my health journey and other journeys that I'm trying to accomplish. It just all feels like a lot. And then you pile on all the the simultaneous global crises 
on top of that. And it just feels some somewhat crushing, to be honest. Um, I can name all those crises, but I'd rather focus in on like, what do I try to do to help? I try when I'm swirly, I try to do a few things that can help me unswirl or manage the swirl. <laughs> uh, one is just breathe. And, and, you know, I think that people are, um, people, at least I know they're very good at like doing yoga or breath work or meditation. I say, yes, let's do all of those things. Plus for me, swimming helps because I literally have to breathe. Um, and I haven't swam in, in like two weeks and that's, that's not good. It's not good because it, it, it forces me to actually truly breathe. And then I'll remember to do it in other spaces, not just in the water. Right. Okay. So that's, that's something that's good. This is good. This is good. This is good space. Uh, I also, I love music. Music is very important to me and it, it helps me like get into a different kind of uh, brain space. Um, if it's music that I can dance to even better where I'm moving my body and just like allowing music to play when I'm working and not allowing, just remembering to put it on um, when I'm like cooking in the kitchen. And, you know, sometimes I have it on and sometimes I don't, but I need to be more mindful of like, put it on, put it on and enjoy and it will just unlock something inside you and help. Um, and then, yeah, when I, I look too far outward of my own spheres of influence, I, again, feel somewhat swirling, unsure, unclear, pathways feel fuzzy. So the more I can um, not, like, not drown out what's happening externally, but you know, potentially be informed by it, but not, um, so what, what am I trying to say? Like just focus in on the communities, on the groups, on the people, the programs, the policies that I have influence on. So yeah, my spheres of influence, um, and seeking out new ways to flex, to bring joy, to flex that muscle. I meant to say (laughs) flex my muscles on like, you know, remembering that I do have spheres of influence, I can have positive impact on them and, um, flexing, flexing towards that as well as like just finding new or being open, I guess, to new tools or resources that can bring that joy that can help me breathe, that can help me, um, feel grounded. And that's a, that's a, that's a ongoing practice. And I'm bringing all of that up because I feel like the conversation with Precious and, and me, we, we were having moments like this where we were sort of thinking about what could we be doing and how can we actually um, be inspired by the teaching our sampler um, uh, that she created um you know, learn from it, uh, see what the applications are to the, the wider arts and culture sector, but also, yeah, like use it as a tool. Um, so that, that, that was, it It was just, I don't know. It was just such a lovely conversation. 
And I don't really feel like I need to tell you more, much more than that, what I just said. So I'm going to leave it there and say thank you to Precious for taking the time. And thank you all for listening. So here is episode 50, act two, Precious Blake, Speed of Trust. Yeah, and so then we, we um, this was released sometime last year, right? Um, in the fall, is that right? Mm-hmm, in the fall. Um, and then there were, we, we, pl- we started planning, um, yeah, we started planning a, a webinar for the arts directors, arts, sorry, arts education directors um, in a peer learning group um, model. And, um, you know, for somebody who, like me who's only ever worked in nonprofits, I, I haven't worked for any sort of government agency. That's a world that I find, well, I interface a lot with our Department of Education, which is a government agency, right? So I, it's a, it's a, it always, uh, oh, I was going to say tickles. I don't know if that's the right word. Like it always tickles me, but I always find it, a, a, you know, a little bit like when, when I can tell you're messaging something, like something you've been told, this is what you can say, you know, you can just, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? So there's moments. So I was a little like, I don't, I don't, I, I want to be involved, but I'm a little wary because I my interfacing with people who are amazing people um, sometimes feels a little like there's a box, you know, and I want to, I want to make that box round (laughs) and have an opening (laughs) Uh, and be porous. And that isn't often the way it works. Um, But the, I find that government agencies really like to partner with, you know, nonprofits I'm sure there's reasons behind it. Like there's not like, that's a good way of being able to extend resources to their different constituents um, and using tax dollars to be able to do that. So it was interesting to be in the room, you know, for the plannings of these two webinars, um, the planning sessions, because there's, there were, from my perspective, there were moments where I'd be like, I don't, like a question would be posed. And sometimes I, I wouldn't be the first one to answer because I was like, I don't, I don't know what's, I don't know this world. So I don't want to be, I don't want to make any assumptions. I don't want to. So I did a, I had to do a lot of like deep listening to the to three of you, um, Susan and Nancy and you in, in terms of pl- the planning process, because uh, yeah, I just didn't want to make assumptions. So sometimes I would say something, I'd be like, Oh, but could land with a big old thud. <laughs> sometimes you know there are moments where it's like oh interesting (laughs) yeah um but I find I find that this document um is so applicable beyond arts agencies um and into the nonprofit world um and I think it's going to be shared or has been I'm sure but it will should be shared again um very widely at the upcoming um, teaching artist summit. I'm not going to name, I don't have the right name. Our shared future is I think the, before the colon um, that's being organized by um, the teaching artist guild um, with support from the NEA. Um, and that's, I think going to be uh, really, really interesting, really interesting to see how those sectors, um, sorry, then like where, like 
one of the things that we talked about in our in our moderated discussion where we had um, representatives from two different states in each of the sessions. Um, and there was a teaching artist who was working with uh, a state arts agency in that particular state. So we had Hawaii and we had representatives from Connecticut and um, and then we had a, an arts education manager or specialist who was paired with them. And um, I really liked highlighting those folks in that conversation. But one of the things that we talked about was that idea of like teaching artists work and navigate all these different ecosystems that don't necessarily speak to each other. Um, and how many different, it makes me, you know, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was to sort of illuminate or support illuminating these stories of people who are doing really remarkable work that I get to see and I get to be, you know, to have the privilege of being able to create space for. Um, and I want more people to hear those stories and, and know what this work can look like. And, um, and so I thought that there was a lot of that same, uh, like uplifting that was happening in that, in the, in the moderated section of the, of the conversations, um, especially for the teaching artists, um, Shanna, I mean, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Like, but both of them I thought were pretty remarkable. Um, but sorry. Uh, so in that conversation we were talking about like navigating, um, all those different ecosystems for a teaching artist when we're not talking to each other and the idea of like, you know, reframing um our our mindset from a scarcity model to a more collective model which really to me speaks back to you know your your dissertation or your thesis <laughs> um you know this particular research and documentation um this artifact as it were um and uh and what you were talking about in terms of community care and creating the um uh, you know creating enough resources so that teaching artists can ha- can live in abundance and do all the beautiful work that they do in community. Um, and I, I think you said earlier, like a right relationship. I think that that kind of conversation is incredibly important I- in this time, but in general, like how, what are some specific things that you would call out from this document or, or in general um, that, supports that idea of being in right right relationship with teaching artists I think a lot of times to in order to be in right relationship with anyone but specifically with teaching artists is ensuring that teaching artists voice is involved in the process from start to finish and after finish right (laughs) and so when we start doing things for and not with not in community not together that's when the dichotomy or rather, you know, the, the tension happens, right? And so I hope that this document inspires folks to think about, okay, well, what are ways in which I can really ensure that teaching artists and not just the same teaching artists who I always talk to, who I always get advice from, but teaching artists who I don't know, teaching artists who I haven't built a relationship with, with how can I ensure that their voices and their experiences are reflected in the work that I do? And sometimes that can be really hard. It shouldn't be, but it sometimes can be really hard working within a state arts agency because state arts agencies, their government 
they're not nonprofits. So motivations are different, right? right? Doesn't mean motivations are inherently good or bad for either, but motivations are different and structures are different. Right. Um, and so, you know, things tend to speed up or slow down, not at the speed of trust, but at the speed of we want to do things when we want to do things. Mm -hmm. And so I always say like, you know, if we are moving at the speed of trust, wherever it has to go, then things can, we can get into right relationship with each other, knowing that if you change one policy, it will affect another. And so, you know, mm. it's funny because like during the webinar, I think uh, Nikki from Hawaii even said this, but um, one thing in the report, I say like a, a really important part or an important thing to consider about how you can get more teaching artists voice in the work that you do is yeah. maybe asking a teaching artist to join your board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was just interesting that it's like, I never thought to even have a teaching artist on my board, you know, because service agencies usually have a board. It's not called a board. They're called like councilmen, you know, or council people um, yeah. or something of that sort. Um, but ensuring that there are teaching artists in that room, you know, that maybe teaching artists are being employed in administrative roles at the organization, people with previous teaching artist experience, so, you know, I made it clear in my organization, you know, I don't identify as a teaching artist, but I do work with community and in relationship with people as a part of my creative practice. So there's synergy there. But mm -hmm. also, you know, I really wanted to make sure that um, my, 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 my person who was uh, my arts education associate, that person had teaching artist experience too. So I could lean on that and know that I'm not, I don't have to be the expert in everything mm -hmm. to, you know, be an arts education director, as long as I'm allowing space for voice to really shine through. So that's one thing that I really liked in the report that I've always wanted to do and make sure people knew. Um, but sometimes folks don't think about that. Like teaching artists need to be a part of the decision that mm -hmm. you make, right? And it, doing one listening session ain't gonna cut it <laughs> you know like doing yeah. doing one survey is not gonna cut it it's you know and, and you know a lot of people will say like oh well we do get voice but it's like are you kind of it's kind of like you know like question 101 you know how you're a journalist or a moderator are you just asking the question or you're deploying surveys to get the answers you want or are you really differentiating them and getting multiple sources over time from different ways and different people to really get a, round, a rounded view of what you do? You know, like, is your survey accessible? Can people actually read it? Can people actually fill it out? Are you saying people have to sum, um, submit the survey in one week? And if they don't, then whoop, I guess that, that's it. That's all the teaching arts feedback we've got today things like that. So um, I always want to start from there, like teaching artists decision-making and reimagining how we make decisions, decisions that we can control at least. Cause you know, there's a lot of things in when you work with government, you can't control, but there are a yeah. lot of things you actually can, you know, like mm. 
institutions and systems were created somehow, they can be recreated. It's not impossible, mm. but it can be very hard and difficult. So I don't want to minimize that. Um, and the only way to, to chip away at that is to ensure that the people who have those lived experiences are really in the room, making those decisions, helping yeah. you make those decisions, and that your decisions aren't set in stone, but they can be emergent and they can shift and change when the time calls for it to shift and change. Being, being nimble and, um, you know, open to possibility is definitely something, it's kind of a mentality that folks can really do to help yes, push yeah. things forward. Yeah, you're, you're making me think about things. We, we just want, the, it's, I, we continue to have to fight against the like set it and forget it <laughs> mentality, right? the idea of being flexible emergent that's that's such a such a big practice um that is not common i think <laughs> um i sort of skipped over this question but i'm gonna come back to it now if that's okay i think this is the right time to ask like in terms of the last two years like what has this last two years meant to you It's definitely been a learning moment, learning mm -hmm. opportunity. Um, you know, I think during the pandemic and which we're technically still in, mm -hmm. um, when your whole world stops, you get to be real introspective. It's like, all of a sudden things that seemed impossible also became possible in the ways that we were, you know, um, you know, like, oh, I can work from home, even though I've been asking to work from home for years and, you know, green, greenhouse gas emissions are going down because not everybody's on the road, <laughs> you know, um, I don't have to commute to work and spend money in these ways, et cetera, et cetera. People who, you know, need accessibility, need digital and tech accessibility and magically it it starts to come together and so personally these past two years I've been really thinking about you know like well what what am I really doing where how do I actually want to be how do I actually want to live how do I actually want to breathe you know um and how do I want to be honest with myself how do I want to live my real honest life Am I just kidding myself that this is actually what I want to do? Or am I following what other people expect me to do? And am I following my heart? Am I following my gut? And how can I align my actions with what I'm feeling internally? And so the past two years, you know, it's been a real struggle. And, you know, I think the first like year and a half, like, just going through that realization, like something's got to give, something's not working. Mm -hmm. And so really taking the time in the past, you know, seven to eight months to think about and have the time to slow down and realize that I don't have to be someone for 
other people's pleasure and um, motivations. The only person who I need to be is me. And if I can make sure I'm 100% me all the time with no compromise, then that's fine. Um, so definitely just coming to that realization. And it doesn't mean I'm fully there, but I think mm -hmm. I'm more, I'm being more honest with myself. I'm being more yeah. honest with how I feel um, and more communicative in that way as well with folks. Yeah, I want to share a book that I'm reading right now. I found it a fall, uh, last fall, and I just started reading it now. And I think, you know, like I, like I felt drawn to it. And then I was, but I wasn't ready to start reading it yet. Um, it's called Joyous Resilience, A Path to Individual Healing and Collective Thriving in an Inequitable World. I'll share the, the actual information with you but like I, I saw it and I ended up buying I, I'm an audiobook person so I finally like bought the book on um and started listening to it and it's so far it's really remarkable and the idea is that it gives you tools to like if like it acknowledges so much about you know the inequities of the world that the author also like is a clinical practitioner and like acknowledges her own privileges as well as marginalizations and, and and all the identities inside. And then like at a certain point in the introduction talks about, talks about how, um, how, who she wrote this book for and essentially like names, like very specific things. It's a long list. It's like, Oh, you, you wrote this for everybody. <laughs> but instead of just saying that you, you knew it was important to like, that for, for me, I needed to hear me in whatever that list was. <laughs> I was like, this is a very smart person. Um, anyway, so I just, based on what you were just talking about, it felt like that that's a book that might, I also want to share this other book with you um, that you might know already. Uh, I'm, I'm such a slow reader. It takes me forever. Um, this one's called See No Stranger by Valerie Kaur, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love. And that's been um, in 41% of that so far. Um, but yeah, that I, um, I just think that some of the things that you're talking about, I think this probably is why I'm so drawn to you because you're, you're speaking very naturally and authentically for, f from my perspective, um, about things that I also have questions around and asking myself about and how, um, how to think about being honest with myself about what I want, what I'm passionate about, what brings me joy and not what either society or what, you know, people just think I should be doing. Um, and then of course there's the, you know, there's the inner critic and all sorts of things that get in the way. And that's what that actually joyous resilience is about is trying to like find tools to deal with the, the, those voices and those inner, um, critiques. Um, but I'm, I'm, I think you also seem very grounded to me. Um, <laughs> am I gushing too much? Am I fangirling? I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> When you say grounded, it's like, oh, really? Because every day I feel like I'm not. My anxiety won't let me. But <laughs> I think I find 
I find new ways to become more grounded mm. every day when I don't feel off kilter. Like today I feel, I feel a little off kilter. And I think, you know, later today I'm going to do something to kind of like recenter myself. I think it, a lot of times to ground myself, I need to just like talk it out. Mm. And especially if there was a particular person that like threw me off my center. It's like, sometimes I'm like, you know, let's just have like a five minute chat just so I know that the air has been cleared or we at least know this is a thing that we can like work through together. Um, So I think I'm being a little bit more bold and audacious to actually like do those things versus internalize it Mm -hmm. and keep it within. And then it like eats me up, you know? So like I woke up this morning, like feeling eaten up. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna go to bed with this feeling. but I'm gonna let it move through my body when it need, how it needs to. Um, and this may be a little bit of a tangent, but I'm also part of an artist collective called Black Women Flourish. Mm. Um, we're a design for well-being collective founded by Denise Shante Brown. And last year we did this creative care session. So each season we had certain um, creative care facilitators offer a free session around, you know, what does it mean to care for your mind, body, and soul, um, and space as well. Mm -hmm. And one of our creative care sessions was around uh, moving grief through your body um, by Akua Adisa. And the reason why I think about this is I was thinking, oh, I need to move, not necessarily grief, but this Mm -hmm. tingling emotion that I don't want to sit in my chest right now. And how can I actually do that through movement? And so I decided to just like do a bunch of chores today and just like, let me just be active. But eventually I think I'm gonna like sit and probably re re, um, go back to that session because Akua gave us some tips and tricks. But a lot of that helps with my grounding, you know, Mm. and um, being a part of the collective solidifies and reminds me of ways that if I care for myself, I can ground myself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start to wind us down. Um, I have so many more questions here. though. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out what, where to go next, but I do, I do based on what you just said, actually, um, I feel like I'm going to quote you back to yourself. I can't remember exactly where I heard you say this. Um, It's been in one of the rooms around the, the, the teaching our samplers. I don't know if it was in the actual um, webinar that you said this, or if it was in one of the planning meetings, but um, you asked this question, how do black teaching artists get to be and how to, how, how to, uh, how do we get the supports that they need to live well and breathe? Um, I feel like you started to answer that question in, in what your last answer you're sharing was, but I'm curious about, yeah, what, one of the things that I've been really trying to do, um, mindfully, um, in terms of working with the teaching artists in our ensemble has been to 
try to like, I think about one teaching artist and um, of color mostly who I can center and try and create a space around. And based off of an event that happened last year where I was thinking, I, I wasn't thinking and I was sort of putting them all in one clump and it was a, it, it was an unsu- unsuccessful event <laughs> um, for several reasons because somebody didn't feel safe in the room. And it was unintentional, but it did happen and a harm to ha- happen. So I've been trying to be more mindful of, you know, how will this, how do I think, how do I make sure that this person feels safe in the space? Because if I can do that for this person, likely the rest of the group will feel, the individuals will feel safe. Um, so, so I'm, I'm sharing that because, um, I'm aware of, um, just how much labor black women have been expected to take on, have done for a variety of reasons and how there's that, those kinds of questions that you were bringing up for yourself. I'm curious, like, is that about precious or is there, are there other identities that are also driving you to having that introspection and processing externally? Yeah. I mean, I think, it's one of the driving factors and one of the driving questions for my collective. So a lot of what my collective does and the questions we ask each other and then what I bring to the collective impacts lots of other things. And so, you know, one of the main questions we have is, you know, what conditions, what demands, what declarations do we need to speak and conjure in order for Black women to live flourishing lives? You know, so what are those conditions of, you know, satisfaction? And as the collective, as we were revving up a lot of these creative care sessions that were bringing up these questions, it was infused in this report, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, because we were just, we were working through it. especially, you know, I really think of our Black women teaching artists as well that have been asked to do so much over the years, including during COVID. Um, but, you know, all, all of a lot of times when I'm thinking about how can teaching artists, artists, because teaching artists are artists, how can they be well? How can we support their lives? I think about, well, what needs to become right in order for that to occur? You know, like what are things that they, yes, can individually do? And then what are things that are not things that they can necessarily do? Who are the people who are the levers, you know, the institutional levers that are impacting their lives? Um, Because often, what will happen is when we think of wellness, we think of quick fixes, we think of insular, we think of individual, we think of independent. And again, we're not thinking collective community, right? Mm -hmm. That we're all, my healing, yes, there's individual healing that I can do on my own, but it comes to a point if we're all not working in sync and working synergistically together. and so the report is definitely one of the ways I was like, this is a declaration that we need to be 
forward and thinking carefully and I mean like carefully mm, mm, mm. you know um with how we treat our teaching artists who often and you know I have to keep bringing this up if we think of everyone who is in the arts education ecosystem you know and you know this isn't a hierarchy it's more of like a circle often teaching artists if we just think financially are some of one of the most vulnerable because they don't have a w-2 job they don't got benefits they're independent contractors they are usually the last ones that are even thought of but they have an amazing seismic impact when they are in the classroom or when they are working with you know youth or you know adults because they bring real world experience they bring the creativity they bring the art especially if they're potentially coming into a school where they're the only kind of artists or creative energy that that school is going to enjoy and so and thinking about vulnerable populations and things like that, it also makes me think about, you know, if we think of everyone who's in the arts eco education ecosystem, usually everyone has a, an advocacy organization that they can, you know, point to, or they have, you know, professional development groups. It's mm -hmm. really, you know, specific, you know, teachers, principals, administrators, youth, you know, families, you know, there's the PTA, things like that, um, you know, the school board often teaching artists are on their own, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and that's also what's written in the report about community building. It can be a really lonely field. And so I think the way that black teaching artists and teaching artists in general can be is that they get to be together. If, whenever there are ways for black teaching artists and teaching artists to have opportunities to connect with each other, to know that they're not in it alone, and having spaces where they can, you know, be honest about what they're going through and it not be something where it can re-traumatize as mm. well is really important. And so I know, you know, organizations like Teaching Artists Guild and I'm most familiar with the Teaching Artists in the Mid-Atlantic have set, have set up like offshoot groups that are specifically for teaching artists of the African diaspora. Um, so that's, you know, one way, but whatever other organic natural ways that comes up, I, I would encourage it because, you know, being a business owner, you're doing everything on your own and mm -hmm. you don't have a built-in support system all the time um, for you. And being a teaching artist is such a very, it's a very unique business model and you know people don't like it when I say this but teaching artists are business owners they are and so wellness is just about you know just as much about um you know physical spiritual wellness is just much about their financial wellness too um be as business owners and um we can get into a whole conversation about, you know, black business owners and how they are aren't supported, but it's infused in that conversation. Mm -hmm. So I really hope that people understand that and listen to black teaching artists, because again, I'm not necessarily doing that all day. I don't mm -hmm. represent all black teaching artists. Right. Um, but if there are more teaching artists that get to have to collectively bring their voice in. So it's this beautiful expansive like tapestry 
of experiences, the picture will become more accurate. And right now the picture is just not accurate in the ways in which we work and support teaching artists, but we can get there. Just has, just takes grit and work. I love it. Is there anything you want to ask me? Well, I, I want to say thank you. This has been a, a really great conversation and I'm warmed <laughs> that, um, a lot of the thoughts that have been in my head that I've just, you know, discussed with colleagues has an open platform for me to say them out loud. So, and thank you for being so thoughtful and such an active listener and um, caring in the things that I say. So just appreciation and gratitude for your presence on this earth and in this moment. Wow. Wow, that hit me right in my heart. Thank you. Thank you so much. I guess I, I, through this conversation, I just am thinking about how this is resonating for you and like what takeaways you're thinking of in regards to how this transcends or like pops over to the nonprofit world. I, was, I know that there is resonance, but because, you know, I took a little two year break and now I'm back in nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, how is this going to resonate with folks that aren't necessarily state arts agencies? I'm wondering how that's coming up for you. Well, I think, I think that the, I love the appendix, uh, being able to see the different, uh, mod, like the different kinds of models. Um, because I think that that's a place, that's a great place for learning. Um, there's a lot of resonance actually in some of the models that we have similar structures or programs around. Um, and I think the biggest takeaway that, um, from this conversation for me is continuing to make sure that we're, um, as we're making emergence, you know, changes, um, that the teaching, our teaching artists are, are in it from the, you know, the beginning to the end. Right. And so, um, I can, I can look at a couple of examples of how that, uh, is manifesting very specifically in projects. So for example, our organization made a choice not to hire new teaching artists until we felt like we had a, a more work to offer. Um, the, the group has sort of, um, uh, decreased over time for all the reasons in the last two years, um, mostly for people like leaving. And, and what's been nice about virtual work is that some people are able to stay on the roster, but like just life has, has happened, but we're about to recruit. And um, our teaching artists have been involved in that process in the past. Um, but, but we want to revamp what that recruitment looks like. And so there's a whole team of teaching artists working with the staff to design what that recruitment is. Um, and then they'll, you know, they'll, so where they, they joined the project was here, but it started back here. <laughs> so we're starting here with everybody or with that, you know, with a, a segment of those folks and there are a couple other like research based things. So we're, we're always spearheading, but then it's, it's incredibly important for our teaching artists to be involved and um, thinking about like, when do we actually bring them in? Or, or open the door for them. Um, so that's something to continue to be mindful of. Um, yeah, and I, the, um, you know, I have to acknowledge my 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 privilege as a, like a light skinned black woman, as an executive, 
you know, who hires folks and I want to always be an advancer, but I also am not working. I'm not a working teaching artist and somewhere in the back of my head, I think I am, but I'm not. And I have to keep reminding myself, like you, the listening, the deep listening that I do in, in this kind of space, I have to make sure. And I do, I mean, I really put it into practice, but I have to keep working at making sure I'm listening and then finding ways to, to take, you know, either advice or, or, you know, being called in, <laughs> um, whatever those things are or, or praise, um, and feed just like whatever that feedback is, how do I put that into action? That's impactful. That is not doing harm. That is, you know, so those kinds of things are, are an ongoing, um, uh, effort on my part. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I've, not to like open a can of worms, but often I've said um, to folks that there's nothing wrong with harm reduction. You know, we want, yeah. we want to ideally not even cause harm. Ideally, especially as administrators who are not necessarily doing the actual work of teaching artists, but we're creating policies and systems that impact teaching artists work. Yeah especially when you're working within government, sometimes the only tool you have is harm reduction and you can't necessarily promise that harm won't be done, but you can at least try to lessen it as much as possible. And for some folks that's not enough and it's not, but when you know that's the reality of where you are and this is your sphere of influence, this is your proximity to power, and so whatever proximity you have, you can use it to help as much as possible. That's okay, you know? And um, I know we had talked about this earlier too, but you know, sometimes it's hard to admit when you've made a mistake as an administrator, because you don't want to admit you made a mistake and it's okay. I, you know, it's hard to, you know, well, what's the right way to apologize? What's the right way to seek forgiveness and to get that accountability? But often I think that's also another piece of the pie that I wish we could have more space to actually do, you know, and have it be again, that it's not teaching artists always having to tell us and yell at us, rightfully so quite often that we're messing up. Right. Or they shut down and they don't tell they don't talk to us because they don't feel safe speaking safe. to us. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I gotten when I was in my previous position, a lot of that was coming up that teaching artists were just afraid because they felt that when they've spoken up before, it wasn't listened to, it wasn't implemented, they were gaslit, they were struck down, they were told no. But then the teaching artists that were brave enough to say anything policies were being bent and, you know, um, created based on the teaching artists that were the most vocal. So again, you know, it's like, how do we get all kinds of voices and how do we ensure that there are spaces for all teaching artists to, to say what they want to say, but then also administrators, like we've got to do that work internally. Um, it, it can be really difficult, you know, like all the things you mentioned, you know, Privilege, again, financial privilege. We both have jobs that we don't have to worry about our next paycheck, you know? And, you know, I was dealing with that for, you know, 
about six, seven months, I was like, I don't really know when my next paycheck's going to be because I am, you know, a, a business owner. I'm doing consulting. I'm starting this whole new chapter. That can be really scary, you know, especially because everything costs money, right? <laughs> in, in America. So I, I really do hope that, you know, if anything, there's an even more appreciation and deeper empathy for how teaching artists have to live their lives, what they go through when reading this document. And it inspires conversations, not just with between administrators, but to their own um, constituents, because that's really how I always want to lead. Um, you know, teaching artists, you know, I'm ride or die for them, but I know I'm not a teaching artist, you know, okay. we're advocates, we're there to, to help take some doors down for you and create a whole new entrance, you know, like that's what we're there for, but we can only do it if we are in camaraderie with each other. You know, we can't speak for or on behalf of people. We have to kind of stop doing that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, precious. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. So I think we'll leave it there. Any any last words you want to share? I don't think I have anything schnazzy. <laughs> That's it. I'm terrible at outros. I'm, I'm a good intro person, but I'm like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what you just said was a beautiful outro, so we can leave it there. Um, but yeah, thank you so much again for for sharing your your beautiful thoughts um, for creating this document that I, I think will have a lot of impact in our field um, and generate a lot of good and needed conversation and, and hopefully, um, you know, action, collective action, individual action, et cetera. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 50, Act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Precious Blake, Speed of Trust. Join us next time for a conversation with Ray Bob Gazool. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry. The gram at teaching artistry with CJB. And now on YouTube, check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Ooh.